On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Joe Batesh, founder of Batesh Media. We discuss the best equipment for creating content, the one lesson that has really impacted Joe's way of thinking, and why now is the best time to start. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life, to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Great to have you on. Aiden, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to um, to speak with you. Joe, you've consulted to the Fortune 500 and to various international advertising agencies in the digital branding space before starting your own agency. Tell me, where did your entrepreneurial spirit come from? So it's a good question. I, I, know, I know this whole podcast is centered around entrepreneurship, but I never really considered myself an entrepreneur. I'm not really... Well, I am, I'm very focused on, on business and starting businesses and doing things. Entrepreneurship is like, is like telling... I, I, really, I don't know how to describe it. It's, really not, it's not really something that I, I identify with because an entrepreneur is generally somebody who starts businesses to start businesses. And I don't start businesses to start businesses. I started businesses because I wanted to do stuff. Uh, and that's always been kind of my MO. And it's always been something I, I've been involved in. My father, uh, growing up, had his own uh, furniture stores in Jersey and in Pennsylvania. And ever since I was little, I mean, that, that was just my, my culture. Is if you wanted to, to make money, you had to start a business. Or if you wanted to do something, you had to do it yourself. The idea of getting a job and you know, kind of just working for somebody else never really jives with me. Not because there's anything wrong with it. I, I, I love it. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who work um, their entire lives fulfilling somebody else's dream. I, I think it's completely selfless and, and really amazing. It was just not something that I thought I could accomplish. Um, and I don't think it's like the best thing in the world. There's a quote I, I recently heard. Entrepreneurship is, means working 100 hours a week, avoiding having to work 40 hours a week, which is, which is really like the truth. Like, like being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, you're really working as hard as you can to make sure you don't have to work for somebody else. So I never, like, that, that's not why I do it at all. Um, but I've always been around people who started their own businesses. And if you just wanted to do something, you did it yourself. And that's really how I am, not only with business, but with, with everything. When it comes to, you know, fixing a light bulb in my house or, 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 or having dinner, I always enjoy fixing the light bulb myself or cooking dinner rather than having it done for me. I just, I just enjoy the process. So I think that's really where a lot of the, you know, like, quote unquote, entrepreneurial spirit comes from is really just, I see something that should be or should exist. And, you know, I do what I can to make it. Do you, do you find any similarities between what you're doing now and what your dad did? You uh, so that's a really good question. Um, so that's a, that's a really fascinating question. So I'll go into a little bit further with my father. So my father had furniture stores, a big chain of them all over uh, Jersey and Pennsylvania. And he was, um, it was him and his father and my uncle. They were very well known for their advertisements. Um, they used to do TV commercials in those states that they were in. And, the, and everybody who lived in that state during that time knew the commercial. And that was just part of my, like, my growing up. Part of the family's culture was that we had furniture stores and, you know, this was our thing. So he raised me with that. And my whole family raised me with that, with that notion of uh, being able to, you know, to sell something using some kind of promotional message. Um, he also taught me, I mean, very basically, he taught me sales, you know, the ability to sell. I, I had to, I worked in this, in the furniture stores until... I was in high school every single summer uh, from first grade to eighth grade. 
so I was, and I was taught how to sell on the floor with the salesman. And I guess that, I mean, that really taught me from a psychological standpoint, how to read a customer, sell a customer, influence the decision and, you know, problem solve in a, in a real time conflict or situation. So is there similarity to my father, what my father and I do? Absolutely. hundred percent. We kind of do the same exact thing, except he sells furniture and I sell, you know, digital branding. I love, I love how you, how we sort of encourage you to work in the business at, at a really, really young age and. Um, encourage is a very fancy word. I, I wouldn't use the word encourage. I was forced to. There was no other option. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what happened after um, after eighth grade? Did you, did you move on? Did you? So I was so after eighth grade. So here, so I'll give you the full picture. So like first grade to uh, and then mind you, first grade, second grade, third grade. Those those are not ages where you can really sell a couch to a customer. I was really just brought to the store, and I was you know I was helping the secretary or doing like data input stuff like that. But like then in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I was old enough to work in the warehouse. And I spent about eight hours a day, every single day, every single summer in the blazing heat of, um, Jer- of a Jersey warehouse, putting together furniture. So that was absolute hell. Um, but it taught me an insane amount of work ethic. And it really put my head in, in, a, uh, in a very uh, kind of concentrated and focused place. So after, after eighth grade, though, I was very, 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 very sick of the warehouse. And I said, uh, I asked him, please, 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 can I take an internship in, in New York, in New York City, which is like a, about an hour from where we lived in Jersey. And um, he said, yeah, okay, uh, I'm into it as long as it's, you know, it's productive and it's, and it's, and it's a real legitimate thing. So in um, the summer of ninth grade, I interned for an IT company by the name of Tabish Group. And I felt absolutely like just, I fell in love with technology. This is around the same time. This is, I think it's about 2008, I want to say, or 2009. It's, a, it's around the same time Facebook and um, started becoming mainstream and a lot of other tech companies started popping up. And I just, I mean, I fell in love with tech. I thought I was going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. And I was really, I was just really excited and passionate about computers and what the internet meant to the world. Um, and during that internship in ninth grade, I was allowed to, um, to, to help clients fix their computers. So I would literally take apart and put back together computers day to day. Tech became like a huge passion of mine. And, 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 you know, going back to the entrepreneurial comment that, that, uh, that I made earlier, it really wasn't like, I'm going to start a, a, a technology company because I want to be a billionaire like Mark Zuckerberg. It was, well, I want to start a technology company so I could change the world like he's doing. It was, it's never about like, it, and it hasn't, and I don't think it ever will be about, be about business. It was really just about kind of realizing, realizing a vision or realizing a dream. So in ninth grade, I fell in love with tech. Tenth grade, I was also allowed to intern. I interned for a web design company. They did um, like simple websites. And I was interning there because I wanted to learn how to do web design, how to build, how to build websites. Because you know, if you want to be a social media guy or if you want to be in technology, you got to know how to make a site. Um, and this is like 2009 or 2010-ish. And when companies are still paying a lot of money to make a site, I mean, companies still do today. But the average company back then to build a simple site that you can make in two hours today Back then, they were paying well, well over fifty thousand dollars for a site. So I interned for a company who, who who made those types of sites, and I couldn't learn web design. I tried for three months, day in day out. I would fell fall asleep over these like web design for dummies books. I just couldn't figure it out. My brain couldn't follow that many steps of logic between the HTML, the CSS, JavaScript. It was just way too much going on for me. And then towards the end of the internship, I um I discovered something called Theme Forest, which is a directory of pre-made templates for websites, for HTML websites. And my boss is actually the one who showed it to me. I actually, he actually he didn't show it to me. I saw him looking at it and I asked him what it was. And I said, what the hell am I spending so much time killing myself over making a site if they have this directory of thousands of websites and I could just customize them to clients' needs? 
So as soon as I saw that, I was like, I am so out of here. I quit. And I started making websites for, for clients. And I, and I used to call up companies out of the blue and say, hey, you know, your website's super embarrassing to look at. Um, we'd love to make you a new website. Call up any agency in New York. Get the lowest price you could find. We'll charge you 10% of that price. And I guarantee it'll be done by the end of the week. And companies are like blown away by this. And we were charging like, like some, some, some websites cost us 800 bucks to do. I mean, cost the company $800. Some websites you're making for two grand. It was all over the place. And it was, it, was, it was an absolute blast. These companies were freaking out over the fact that they could have these beautifully made sites in no time at all. And this is even before, this is before everybody was doing WordPress. This is like, like, like pre-easy website making internet era. Um, and I was doing that for a long time. I was doing that through high school. I had a, uh, a pretty uh, good pot of money. I didn't really know what to do with it because I was you know, just a Jersey kid. Not much to do with money out there. I got into venture capital a little bit. I joined a venture capital company called Dream Adventures. I was basically like an, like an analyst, like a junior analyst there. I'd sit down with, um, with startups and, and decide whether or not to invest. And I kind of fell in love with that world. And I figured, well, I don't know if I'm going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Let me not pull, put all my eggs in one basket. Let me be a you know, venture capitalist and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll try to invest in the next Mark Zuckerberg. And, and through that time, also going back to the entrepreneurial comment, it was never about investing so I could have some massive ROI. It was about you know investing on companies so you can ha- make a real impact and help them realize their vision. So I did that for a couple of years, and I realized that like these, the VC world is awesome, but I'm like really not a numbers guy. Like the graphs and the pie charts and the Excel spreadsheets, they didn't. They were just not my language. Um, the reason why I was valuable to the team that I was on was because I was able to recognize talent and recognize humanity and recognize you know how somebody can exceed and how somebody can progress. And I realized that like the best that what that really is, is, you know, the ability to build a company. And I wanted to help people build companies. And I kind of went back to my web design days and I said, you know, this is, that's really what I was doing. I was helping these companies build themselves online. I said, I should really just start doing this for a bunch of other companies, but on a much wider scale. So I just launched a, you know, digital agency and I'm using air quotes. And it was really just me saying yes to every single question that a client asked me. So, hey, do you guys do social media? Absolutely. Do you guys do video? Absolutely. And I would just kind of, you know, figure out how to do it, kind of winging it, kind of not. And then over the years, it's, it's been like six, seven years since I started the company. It's transformed into, uh, you know, the agency that we have today. Tell me, um, I'd love to know your process of when clients said, oh, can you do, you know, social media, video, etc. What process did you go through? You know, obviously you said yes and figured it out later. Can you delve a little bit into that process? How did you learn those skills? Okay, so... It's, a good, it's also a fantastic question. I should have been more specific. These, these aren't individual skills. You know, social, and what, this is the foundation of my agency. This, this idea, this philosophy is the foundation of every single thing that I do. Web design, um, video work, social media, podcasts, graphic design, presentation design, anything and everything in those fields, they're not separate skills. Are they separate executions? 100%. But they all are rooted and founded in the same philosophy of how do we communicate what we're doing here and how do we influence people to say yes to us? And that question of how do we get people to say yes and how do, we, how do we get people to fall in love with us and how do we get people to care about our story, those questions kind of drive every single thing that we do. Me growing up, I was always you know, the storyteller. I was the class clown in school. I was, I was the guy in the middle of the circle with all the kids. That was me. I was always telling stories, telling jokes, because I love talking to people and I love communicating ideas and messages, whether they be funny or serious or, you know, 
educational, whatever. I, I love doing it. So when we sit down with a company, we want to figure out the best ways that we can communicate what they're trying to communicate. And a lot of times there's a different factions that we ne- might not be so involved in the, the micro executions of, but we know the basics. So when they say, do you do social media? We said, yes, because we, we and then we said, and this was the process, we said, yeah, well, of course we do social. Well, social media is not a great example because everyone, that's not so hard to do social, but let's talk video, you know, because video is a pretty specific skill set. So when a company asks us, hey, do you guys do video? Like we want to do an explainer video. We said, yes, of course. And now what, is that, what does that mean for us? Well, now we have to sit down with the client. We have to script it. That scripting, that copywriting is, you know, kind of the basis of what we said before. How do we answer those questions that we just asked? How do we make people fall in love with us? We kind of write a script and then we figure out the details later, whether or not we hired a videographer, whether or not we bought camera equipment, we did it ourselves. We also were very, 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 very efficient and very scrappy when it comes to um, what we do. We're, we're not a very expensive agency. And in New York City, that's a rarity because we're really creative with how, with, how, with, with our clients' budgets. So if a client had a budget, a super low budget for a film, we would have no problem videoing the whole thing on an iPhone and making it absolutely badass and telling everybody we videoed it on an iPhone. Um, because we, we were really just, we like staying true to the client. We were really authentic and genuine. And I'm not trying to fool anybody, you know? So, so when a client has a low budget, we, we, you know, we're creative with it. So and I know, I'm sorry, I'm digressing a little bit. I'm a little all over the place. But going back to your original question, what did that process look like? How do we figure it out? I can't really tell you a step-by-step. The client asked us a question. We said yes. We figured it out and we, we made the most of it. Yeah, got it. So keeping that uh, that sort of big picture of what, what it's all for in the background right. of how you go through the, you know, right. as long as you have solid, as long as you have a solid, concentrated North Star in whatever you're doing, you're fine. You just got to figure out the details. As long as you know the direction and you know where you want to be, the only thing, there's a quote, I forget who it's by, but it's one of my favorite quotes. It's not really a quote, it's an idea that the only thing in between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow is the work. You know, it's just the work involved. So if you know what your North Star is, if you know what that vision looks like, if you have that in your head, all you got to do is the work in between it to do it. And it's, that's not hard. That's a yes or no question. Are you going to work? It's pretty binary. It's zero or one. So as long as, so with any kind of project you take on, with any life goal, with anything, as long as you're willing to do the work to fulfill that vision, and as long as you have that vision kind of solidified, you're good. So if a client asks you to do a video and you see that video in your head, all you got to do is figure out how to put the pieces of the puzzle together to make that video happen. Exactly. If, you, if you've got an idea of where you're going, then yeah, you, you can figure out, you can ask for help, you can... Research. Yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not mm. saying it's an easy thing, but it's just, it's a matter of doing it or not doing it. There's going to be mistakes. It's a lot of trial and error. Then there's definitely going to be a lot of, a lot of screw-ups, but you know, that's life and that's the work. No, no, for sure. Definitely. Um, 2019 at the moment and, you know, digital and, and social media sort of being sprouted as, you know, every business needs to be on social media. Are there any digital assets that you would highly recommend that businesses definitely have in place? Um, can you clarify what do you mean by digital asset? Because that's a very fancy word that could mean a million things. Sorry. So I guess um, social media sites that they should be on, uh, websites that they should have. Um, I don't know. So I, I don't think there's like a like a I don't think there's a there's a boilerplate answer for that question. Everybody should definitely have a website. That's for sure. Um, just because that's your home base on the internet. But other than that, I think it really depends case by case. Even a website is, is like case by case. I know, I know, uh, I know a lot of people who run extremely successful companies that don't have a website, you know. And I don't think they'd be more successful if they had a website. So I think every company is very different depending on what's best for them. And I definitely, I would um, advise people not to say, okay, well, there are these ten social medias out there. We have to be on every single one of them because there's no reason for Joe and Tony's 
pizza store to be on Pinterest, you know? What are they doing? There's no reason for them to be on Pinterest. There's no reason for them to be on Dribble and Behance because they're not designers. So I, I think everybody should really just do them and figure out the platforms that make the most sense. And a lot of times they need help with that, which is where, you know, where we come in. For sure. Definitely. I guess that way you can then choose what to focus your time on as, as opposed to um, spending all your time, you know, amongst 10 to 15 different platforms and not doing any of them well. Exactly. 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 Um, what's your belief around owners telling their personal stories to build up their personal brand for a business? Um, so, I mean, again, I think it's case by case. I do that personally. I have a podcast and I have a website and I have like a weekly email. I'm not doing it necessarily to build up a personal brand. I'm just kind of doing it because I like talking to, I have like something of an audience and I really like communicating with them and they, and they apparently, they like what I have to say. But I think, yes, yeah, some companies would benefit from having the, um, the owner, the founder, having a personal brand. But again, it's case by case. If you have a company with the founder doesn't speak English and it's a company in America, then no, he should not have a personal brand because it's going to make the company seem un-American if it's supposed to be an American company. So again, I think it's, I think it's case by case. Okay, sure. For those that are struggling to create content, do you have any advice of what they could do? Um, definitely. I'd say that, you know, we're living in a, in a time where creating content has never been easier. The idea that somebody can take a picture and the whole world can see it the second they take it is an insane concept. And I think everybody should be capitalizing and taking advantage of that fact. So if you are a company who needs to be creating, who feels the need to be creating content, use your phone. People always ask us like, what's our, because we do a lot in video and photo. What's our favorite camera to use? What's, what's our favorite piece of equipment? And we always say our iPhones because they're the easiest camera to use. They're the most portable. We always have them in our hands, whether or not we're taking pictures. And the camera is absolutely phenomenal. It's better than it even has to be. So if you need to create content, pull out your phone and start shooting. And if you don't know how, take one of some free course or look at some YouTube video, how to take great pictures and just do that. If you're a founder who wants to tell their own story, phenomenal. Start an Instagram, do an Instagram live and do a conference of, of you and your founders talking about how you started the company. And even if you only have two viewers, those are two potential customers or potential clients, you know? So if the, to answer your question, what's the best way to start generating content? Pull out your phone and start generating content, you know? Yeah, and I, I guess that, that that can apply to a lot of things. You know, just start is, is definitely sometimes the, the way to do it. I think it's always the way to do it. We saw, I mean, my way of going about things and, you know, how I started my company has been kind of that, just do it. Like, there's no reason not to. And like waiting for that perfect moment or waiting for the, oh, I need this to happen. Or, oh, we have to design our site better. And, oh, this and, oh, that. You're just stalling and you're losing money day by day because you're not capitalizing on, on what you have in front of you. Companies who, who don't open their, their, their businesses because they don't have the site done yet are stupid. Like, what, for what reason? Start experimenting. If you don't have a site up, great. Nobody's watching you. Make mistakes now. The, the best time to do something is always now, like always this second. And there's no reason not to. Yeah, that, that's true. It's um, a lot of times people will make these excuses about the equipment they need or the things they need to buy before they can begin not realizing that imperfect is better than nothing at all. Imperfect is also sometimes better than perfect. It looks human. Mm. You know, some of the best artists in the world, you look at their art and you hold it up to some kind of objective light. It's terrible compared to the stuff that, that, was, that was considered beautiful you know, in the Renaissance era. If you look at a Jackson Pollock next to a, next to a, um, like a Caravaggio or something like that, Caravaggio would look at Jackson Pollock and say, oh, what, is, what did you do? What is this? This is a mistake. You know, and believe it or not, some of the Jackson Pollocks are worth more than some of the Carvaggios. Yeah, exactly. It's um, and it comes down to personal perception and preference as well. 
you know, some people will, will really like what you've done being, um, you know, more authentic and some people will like the more crisper look, but you can't please everyone. And you shouldn't try to. No, exactly. You're better off having 50 people hate you and 50 people love you than 100 people who don't give a shit about you. That's it. Yeah. That's, I guess, comes back to, down to the concept of um, sort of pol- polarizing and, and going all in into, you know, what your business stands for and who you are as a person. Exactly. I'm curious, what's been one of the biggest lessons you've learned that's taught you the most? So I don't know. So, so I don't know what the biggest one is because I, I need a little bit more time to think about that. But I can tell you the most, the most recent one that really struck a chord with me. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with the founders of Shopify. It was a Tim Ferriss podcast. And he quoted a quote. And the quote is, nobody wants a quarter inch drill bit. Everybody wants a quarter inch hole. And what the idea is, is, is that nobody cares about the tool. I mean, people, some people, I mean, some people do, but the people don't care about the tools they use to get the job done. They care about the job being done. And it really struck a chord with me. And it really taught me, now it didn't teach me a lot. It just, it made me realize what I'm doing, how I'm doing it and how it's different than a lot of other people. If you look at the digital branding and the creative service industry in New York City, and I'm sure all globally all over the world, a lot of the companies make money and charge as much as they charge and have the kind of ethos that they have based on complexity, based on sophistication, based on the art, and based on their process. So if you ask a company, well, you know, why do you guys charge 70 grand for a site? They might tell you, oh, we have 70 people working for us and we do 15 rounds of revisions and we use this and we use that, we use this. That's really not my style and it's never been my style and it's not something we've ever tried to do. And I did never really could pinpoint why exactly. I just knew when people told me, like I sit down with agency founders all the time because um, it's not a very competitive space in New York. There's a ton of business and, and we all kind of really love each other because um, we learn from each other a lot. And I sit down with a lot of these founders and, and I ask them like, how can you justify your numbers? Because we don't charge that much and a lot of these agencies really do. So when I, I actually sat down with somebody yesterday and, and he charged uh, recently $150,000 to do a site. A very basic site, something I would have probably charged, I don't know, twelve or fifteen thousand dollars for. And I asked him, like, how do you charge? Like, how do you get away with charging that much? Like, how do you do that? How do you justify your numbers? And he said, Well, we don't get away with it. Our costs are, are really high. Also, I said, Well, why? He said, Well, what we tell a client is, client gets fifteen rounds of revisions. We use these types of web fonts that are only available to us, and we have this proprietary, uh, you know, WordPress template, and we have this, and we have that, and we have this, and we have that. And I was like, yeah, but the bottom line is it's, just, it's the same site I would make. You know, yours might look a tiny bit different, but it's not better than mine. So, and you didn't really have much of an answer for me. And, you know, he's not the dumb one I am because I can't sell a site for 150 grand because I can't explain to a client all the processes. Because I don't think, I don't find value in having extra steps. I think the best things in life are simple and only have one or two steps. And that's the way I run my business. So I, I don't think it's good to have 15 steps. And then I realized like when I was listening to this quarter and they said that like nobody wants a quarter inch drill bit, everyone wants a quarter inch hole. These guys are, are making money selling drill bits. I'm making money selling holes. You know, when a client calls me, I tell them what they can be, not what we can do for them. And that just, I mean, that, that struck me a lot. And I think it's, it's good advice. When somebody's building a business, when somebody's trying to get something done, think of the hole, not the bit. You know, think of what, where you're going. Kind of like that conversation we, we originally had with about the North Star. Think about what you want it to look like or what you want it to be and aim at that. Don't aim at the process. And it all kind of ties in with each other. I mean, it's all very simple. One philosophy of saying, yeah, just do it now. You don't need the equipment. If, if you know what the solution has to be, just solve it. Don't harp and don't, don't micromanage and don't kind of, you know, stress out on the, on the, on the details of things or on the hows. Yeah. And, and I guess that, that, that'll allow you to, um, 
to build up speed and momentum as you, as you go along. And as you keep solving those, you know, also going closer to what your North Star looks like, you'll be able right. to sort of figure it out on the way as opposed to having this perfect plan before you've started, which which is right. a myth anyway, because, you know, think, things will change. So you, you can't have a perfect plan before you start. You can have a, a map of what it should look like, but that, that will always, or I'm of the belief that that's going to change as you go along, as you go forward. Right. Uh, Joe, a question I'd like to ask all guests on the podcast, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, what's your definition of the grind? Um, the grind. Uh, when, I, when I hear that, I think of like, you know, all those buzzwords, grind, hustle, you know, work harder, all those things. Um, my definition of the grind, which is like the work, is just, you know, it's the dirt. It's the nitty gritty. It's, it's doing the shit you don't want to do cause, just because you have to. I love that stuff. I don't, you know, the grind is generally something, you know, people like, you know, when you hear grind, you think of like somebody clenching their teeth and sweating and, you know, they don't, that's at least what pops into my head. It's not generally something positive. I'm somebody who, who like just happens to, to excel in, in very, very tough situations. Thank God. I don't know how that happened, but like my schedule is insane. I wake up every day at 545 and I work generally from six to about, you know, seven or eight at night straight through um, I sit at my kitchen table and, and maybe I'll, I'll head to the office. I'll have a couple meetings, but, but I have to just, so I, I need to get those hours in and I love it. Like I hate sleeping like, like day, like Saturdays and Sundays or Sundays, Sundays, I usually work also, but like Saturdays and some Sundays when I don't wake up at six, like I, I freak out because I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on something. Um, I love waking up before, before the sun rises. I feel like I have a head start on, on God because like he didn't rise the sun yet and I'm, and I'm a pop, like I got you. Like I, I love, I love that feeling of um, of doing something that's really hard and really uncomfortable. Because I think it, I look at it as it like kind of like a challenge, like how you're gonna you know excel in the situation. And I hope to never excel. I hope to never solve that. You know, I hope to never, I hope to never not have to wake up at six a.m. Because like the second I, I I stop doing that, you know, what else is gonna stop? I I think the grind, as you say it. I think is the most healthy thing in the world. I think it's absolutely vital for every human being to be able to get outside of that comfort zone and 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 just kind of that easy life. I hate that. I just it's, and not that it's bad. Like people who love that, you know, good for them. That if they if they can survive like that, I'm not somebody who can survive like that. So my definition of the grind is you know the beauty. There's beauty in the struggle. So so the grind to me is like is like the best part. Oh, amazing. I love that perspective. And um, I guess I can relate in a sense to um, like you, you know, if I have a day off, it's, it's almost like, oh, well, what do I do? You know, and, you know, rest and relaxation is, is important, but um, I, I can definitely um, resonate with you, you know, working from six till eight o'clock at night to, to get everything done. And I'm sure some days feel like a struggle, but for the most part, you know what, where your North Star is. And that is a, uh, it's sort of the reason you do it. Right. And I think I'm very lucky and very blessed to say that. I don't really truly have any days off because my business is run by me. It's called Batesh Media because my whole entire agency is just an extension. It's like a scaled version of my brain and my personality and my abilities to problem solve and, you know, build companies and all that kind of stuff. So like on a Saturday, I might not be in the office, but if I'm talking to a friend and he says something and I'm like, oh shit, that reminds me of this. And, you know, I'm thinking of that. And all of a sudden, I don't even hear what the guy's saying because I already thought of 14 new client ideas for the next campaign, you know? So because my business is, is truly an art, it's really, truly expression of others. There are no days off. You know, I'm not opening a store and selling customers. 
I'm just thinking. That's like that's that's what what's how why we get paid. We get paid to think. So I never stop thinking, you know. So and I think that's like the, the luckiest thing in the world. I think I'm like I'm truly, 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 truly blessed that I'm able to even utter those words and say it. Um, and I don't want to jinx it. So I don't want to talk about it too much. <laughs> but um, but I think like like yeah. So like like even that whole no days off concept. I think for the for the real entrepreneur, there is no such thing as a day off. You know. Yeah, I guess everything's still ticking in your mind anyway. Yeah. Joe, where can people find more about you and Batesh Media? Um, so there's a lot, a whole lot of places. Batesh Media can be found at BateshMedia.com. That's B as in boy, E-T-E-S-H, media.com. And that's just like our site with like all our services and um, like client work and all that. It's like interesting if you need to hire a branding agency, but otherwise I wouldn't recommend going there. I have a personal website, JoeBatesh.com. It's, I have like a blog up there. Um, we have like a, like, a, like a podcast that I like talk to cool people sometimes and some of my friends. There's an email list on there. I shoot out an email every Friday morning, kind of just detailing the things I discovered, enjoyed, or like or thought about during the week. And then I'm on Instagram at Joe Batesh. I'm on Twitter, Joe Batesh. And that's about it. Wonderful. Guys, yeah, definitely recommend uh, checking Joe out. And Joe, once again, thanks, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, of course. It's been a pleasure today. Thanks so much, Aiden. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.